The scripture this morning is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, it is your holy word. It is sharper than a double-edged sword and is active. It's alive. And we come, Lord, thanking you for that. We come, Lord, asking that you would overwhelm us with your glory now, that you would cause our hearts to begin to stir for what we are going to hear that you indeed would make us different as a result of what we hear. Every one of us, every one of us, God, we pray, would be made different because of what we've just heard and what we're about to hear. We pray this in the strong and perfect name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. So many ways I want to begin this sermon. The word of God has just been read. And you're not surprised. If I said we weren't going to read the Word of God today, and I was just going to give you some thoughts I had, you would be concerned, and rightly so. But you're in a church that upholds the Word of God. And because of that, you can say that you are part of a church that, from the very beginning, is a Spirit-filled church. It's Spirit-filled because of the marks of a Spirit-filled church. 3,000 people joined the church at Pentecost. I want you to think about that for a minute. There were 120 in the upper room. And then at Pentecost, suddenly, these disciples have 3,000 people to care for. Think about that. 3,000 new believers in an instant. Instance, amazing. 3,000, that's about double of what is here right now. No microphones, no printing press, just the disciples, the apostles, those who've been appointed. And what does it say they did? Verse 42, look at it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna unpack these verses together as we lead up to Advent. And they, those 3,000 and the 120, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now think about it for a minute. No printing press. No gospels had been printed. There were no letters yet circulating the churches. What were they teaching? The apostles were teaching the Old Testament, and they were teaching the words of Christ that they heard. They had been given the authority to do so, and they were doing it. And as you consider this question, what is a 
spirit-filled church, this is what is presented. These marks of the church are normative. Some of the things that happened in the early church are not. They were specific events that happened in that moment. But much of what we see here actually is normative. It means this is what the church is to be about always. And the first thing that's mentioned is that they, these, these 3,000 new believers plus the 120, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What that means is they devoted themselves to the word of the Lord. A spirit-filled church is a word-filled church. And what I want to do this morning is, is unpack what that means for us, because it's the same thing that it meant for them. A word-filled church or a spirit-filled church is a church that is a listening church, it is a church that is a learning church, and it is a church that is a, a living church, it's alive. The first thing that you see is that these 3,000 new believers devoted themselves. In the Greek, the word devoted here means continually devoted. That's important because the temptation for us sometimes along our journey is to think that we have heard enough, done enough, seen enough, given enough. But the word devotion here in the Greek means more than just being devoted once. It means to be continually devoted, day after day after day, devoted to what? Well, the very first thing that Luke gives us is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a listening church, a spirit-filled church, a word-filled church as a listening church. Here's what happened. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, which means that the first thing they did was to submit themselves to someone else's thoughts. Why would they do that? Many of these were the people who were crying out days before, crucify him, crucify him. But as Peter in his sermon brought the word of God to them, it tells us that those words cut to their heart. And again, based on what I said last week, these were not sick hearts. These were dead hearts. These were not hearts that could beat for God with just a little more listening. These were not hearts that could beat for God with just a little more discipline or devotion. These were dead hearts. And unless the Spirit of God himself moved and intervened and caused that which was dead to become alive, they couldn't have ever said, what must we do? But they were cut to the heart. And as they were cut to the heart and said, what must we do? Peter tells them, repent and be baptized. And now as they are moving forward in their brand new faith in Jesus, we're told that they devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching. So what that means is they were listeners. They submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now imagine what that looked like. 3,000 new people, knowing now that they're going to spend eternity in heaven, who didn't believe just hours before, now they believe that he truly is the one who's the way, the truth, and the life, are listening at the apostles' feet as they are teaching them about the good news of Jesus Christ, the words that Jesus Christ spoke to them, and the Old Testament. The listening church, a spirit-filled church, is filled with a body of believers who submit themselves to the apostles' teaching. What that means is we submit ourselves to this. 
whenever one of us stands in this pulpit or whenever another is in a Sunday morning community teaching or whether you are in a small group or leading a small group connected to our church, if it's part of the true church, we are to submit ourselves to this godly teaching. Why? Because it's the word of God. And the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 speaks of the reality of what that means. That's why we go as a church to great efforts to put the word of God out to people all around the world. Have you ever smuggled a Bible into a country that won't let you bring one in? How many of you have done that? I'm just curious. Raise your hands high. That's really fun. Okay. There's about maybe 15 or so hands going up. I remember the first time I did it. It was really remarkable. You know, you're, you're just wondering if the red light's going to go off and they're going to begin to look through your stuff. It didn't. And now I've got these Bibles. I'm going to hand them to, to young people who are interested. The young people grabbed the Bible. And they weren't as quiet as I thought they might be. They were still somewhat secretive, but they grabbed the Bible. And this is what they did. They opened it up. They turned towards the back. And then they went like this. Yeah, I just tore a page out of the Bible. <laughs> kind of freaks you out, doesn't it? <laughs> they took it. They folded it. And they put it in their pocket. And I looked at the missionary I was with. And I said, <laughs> I think they might be going to the bad place. He smiled, said, no, they can't carry something like this around. So they take the word of God and they fold it up and they memorize it in secret. And then when they're done, they pass it on to another person who has a different page. They're submitting themselves to the word of God, believing powerfully in what it is. Psalm 119, that section of scripture that is all about the scripture. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, I've hidden it in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's what they were doing. They were memorizing it because they couldn't take it. Outside these, these doors and steps, there's a table with Bibles that represent all the Bibles that we have down in our bookstore. Places for you to come and, and buy a Bible for yourself or for another person. The rest of the world does not have access yet to this kind of opportunity. And so the church is going to continue that work until Christ returns. Mamadou is here today, and I hold in my hand a very rare treasure. It's a Bible that has been translated in Sirer. It is a Bible that is translated only been done once and is now in its second publication. Only the second time have boxes of Bibles arrived in this part of the world so that our brothers and sisters can take them and feed on them and then share them with other people. Two times, and it happened last week. And it happened because of the hearts of people in this church who were generous to see the word of God go out 
And now in those 60 churches, Mamadou, that the Lord used you to be a part of planting, 30 of those which we've partnered with, they're going to have Bibles arriving that they may open them and read them. Marilyn Laszlo, who was a farmer's daughter in the Midwestern part of the United States, was out in a field and she was contemplating her life when she was a teenager, like most teenagers might. What am I going to do? And the Lord began to grab hold of her. And she wanted to go to a place in the world that didn't yet have the Bible. And so she decided that she would listen to him. And the Lord God called her to Papua New Guinea to a tribe that not only didn't have the Bible, but they didn't yet have their language written. And so she went to this very, very small, very small tribe that had no one yet to even record their language into a grammar that they could read. And she had to learn their language. Then upon learning their language, she had to put it into print. Then she had to teach them how to read their very own language, while at the same time beginning to translate the New Testament into a language that would now match the grammar that she created that they might read it. Isn't that amazing? A farmer's daughter in a field. That's the vision he gave her, and she goes. And it took a long, long time. And then suddenly, as the word of God was in print, and as it was put on canoes floating up the river to the tribal area where she was, she could hear the tribesmen coming to the shoreline chanting, here comes the word of God. Here comes the word of God. You know what the world needs most from us, my friends? Us to park our cars, walk through these doors. And though we're not necessarily chanting it out loud, in our hearts we're saying, here comes the word of God. I'm in a church where I can carry my Bible. I'm in a church where it can be opened up and the minister's going to preach from it. I can join a Sunday morning community or a small group or Bible study fellowship or community Bible study or a small group of men on a Monday morning or a group of women on a Wednesday night and I can be fed the word of God. But are we lining the shoreline saying, it is the word of God. Here comes the word of God. Likely, we're not approaching it that way. We need to remember that a spirit-filled body is a body of people who have submitted themselves to the word, who are expectant in hearing that word, who are eager to hear that word. A spirit-filled body is a word-listening body. But it's more than that. It's also a word-learning body. And here's what I mean. When we submit ourselves to listening to the word being preached, when we read books written by women and men who teach us the word of God, when we listen to a sermon, we're submitting ourselves to the listening of the word. When we do so with eagerness and expectation that God's spirit's going to move in us and change our lives, something begins to happen. And what we realize is that word listening alone is not enough. It's word learning that is part of a spirit-filled body. We're in submission. We place ourselves before the word. And we ask the Holy Spirit every time, not just sometimes, every time, teach me more of your glory. Teach me more of your holy doctrine. Teach me theology, which means knowledge of God. Don't be afraid of that word. It means knowing God. 
Teach me what I need to know about you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he will. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Along with being a learning church, though, it's not that we're learning just about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and his word and his history of redemption. We're also learning about ourselves. Because what the Holy Spirit does is he takes that word, which is alive and active, and he drills it down deep into our hearts. And by his grace and for his glory, he shows us things about ourselves. He might show us that we're not as generous as we thought, or we're not as kind, or we're not as much of a servant. I was with 15 pastors a couple of weeks ago, three days of silent prayer and retreat. And one of the men, as we came together to share at the end for a few hours, he just broke. And he said, I am not a humble man. It was quiet. The Spirit of God with the Word of God moved and convicted him of something that caused him to then cry out for mercy. God have mercy. A listening church must become a learning church. But there's a warning that's important. The Pharisees were learned. Sometimes we can be tempted to believe that learning is enough. That deep Christianity actually is intelligent Christianity. In other words, we're, we're smarter than the average denomination or the average nation or the average believer. And if that's going on in your, your system, just thank the Lord that he's convicting you of it now, I hope. We should seek to use all of our faculties to pursue the depths of the riches of God. But even as we do, we're reminded, Psalm 139, that his thoughts are too wonderful for us. The goal of Christianity isn't to become the smartest Christian in the room. That's actually not deep, my friends. The goal of Christianity is to submit yourselves in listening to the Word of God, learning everything that the Spirit of God wants you to learn, and then, and this is the key, live it. A Word-filled church, a Spirit-filled church is a church that is a listening church. It's a learning church. And then ultimately, it's a living church. In our identity statements, our second one says that we know and we live the word of God. The reason that is important is because we can think that it's all about our mind. Then we can take that journey from our mind to our heart and even then think it's deep. I'm now feeling correctly about what I'm thinking correctly. My friends, that's not deep. It's not deep enough. You might sound deep, you might sound smart, you might sound pious, you might sound godly, but it's truly only deep when it goes so far into this heart, pricking so deep into this heart, a heart that's been once pricked for salvation and now continues to be pricked for growth, it goes so deep that it has to exit. It has to come out somewhere. And where it comes out is our hands and our feet. And so that when we hear the opportunity to be a part of the word of God being translated in other tongues, and you're going to hear more about that, we're going to see so much in most of our lifetime 
of the word of God being translated. It may happen in some of your lifetimes. It might. What an incredible thing to be a part of. Oh. It's only deep when it moves from we've just heard it to now I'm smart about it to I have to do something. And that's how the church grows. A spirit-filled church is a church that is a word-listening church. A spirit-filled church is a church that is a word-learning church. A spirit-filled church is a church that is a word-living church. Every time we hear the word, we come with submission. We come with expectation. And then we come with the eagerness to say, I have to make this known. So how do we do that? Well, go back to this moment of Pentecost. 3,000 people said, what must we do after they heard about the word, Jesus, being crucified and being raised from the dead and having ascended? The worst thing that could happen today is that you would walk out of here and say, I got to do better at reading my Bible. I've got to do more to make God love me. The confession of sin today, if you were paying attention, and I, I trust you were, is a very, very interesting confession. The confession comes from Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's written in an acrostic according to the Hebrew alphabet. Each section is eight verses long. I think I've shared before that on most days, I take one of those eight verse sections, like a little spiritual vitamin, and I read it. And I just keep going through them. If you do that, one of the things you're gonna notice is that there is a deep dependency upon the psalmist for the Lord to make him hunger and thirst for the word itself. There is a passion for the word of God. Prayers like this, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Phrases like, when you enlarge my heart, I will embrace your ways. The psalmist isn't saying all these great things about his intentions. He speaks of his commitment to the word of God, his frailty as a man, and the need of God to overwhelm his soul to believe the right things about the word. That's what's so interesting. Because as he praises the Lord over and over again for his word, and as he seeks to be deeply committed to the word, his very last prayer, verse 176, says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. That's where that comes from. It's the last verse of the longest chapter in the Bible, all centered on the word of God. So what does that mean? In order for us to be that spirit-filled body 
that church that is a word-listening church, a word-learning church, a word-living church, it is the grace of God that overwhelms our soul when we're reminded that he is the one who went to the cross and died that we could even be able to embrace him. It is the grace of God that the Holy Spirit pricks our hearts and says, rise, wake up. And as we wake up, we listen to the word, we learn about the word, and then we go and live the word. And so it begins with grace. And it is maintained with grace. And it ends with grace. And then one day, because of grace, you who are in Christ are going to be seated. And you're going to see for all eternity the one who is seated at the right hand of God. The word himself. All because of grace. And guess who's going to be there? Every man and woman and child that he's called his own. And it's very possible. Well, it's completely possible that you will see people who came to see Jesus as they listen to the word, learn the word, and live the word. What he is doing in and through you to advance his kingdom is a miracle. What a privilege to be a part. My friends, may grace make us more and more like Jesus than we could ever imagine. Listen, learn, live. Father, we are so grateful for what you've given us today. I'm very grateful for the great minds, for the servant hearts, but I'm mostly grateful, Lord, to witness the gospel going so deep in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here that even today they say, what must we do? And Lord, what we do in your powerful name is we cry out, Save us, feed us, change us for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.